The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Circling the Bases. My name is Chris Crawford. I hope everyone had a great weekend. Super excited to see some baseball. I am sorry to everybody playing fantasy who started Milwaukee Brewers pitchers, and I know that was a lot of you. And congrats to everybody who had Lord Byron Buxton on their roster. Still can't get over how impressive that home run was at the top of the zone, but wonderful to see baseball back and wonderful to see baseball counting. And just as a reminder, with baseball back, you know, in the regular season form, we are back to doing our daily shows. So I'm hosting this live show on Monday. Drew Silva and Janice Scurio will have their power rankings on Tuesday. Colin Henderson and I on Wednesday. Me and a guest on Thursday. And Drew along with DJ Short on Fridays. And we'll be recording those last three shows I mentioned live on Twitch and on YouTube at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. So stay tuned on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 8.30 Eastern to check those out. The link to that Twitch show is twitch.com slash NBC Sports Edge. So we're going to do it just like last week, and I really appreciated everybody who sent in questions last week. I appreciate everybody who sent in questions this week. We'll keep doing this format as long as it proves to be not too annoying to you and, and that we have the actual content to do it. But early on, I think this will be a fun way to, to talk about some prospects and also answer any dynasty questions that you guys might have. A lot of you asked me this first question, and I get it. It's a little bit silly to answer, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Am I concerned about the slow start of Julio Rodriguez? So the obvious answer is no, because it's three games. I mean, it is literally three games that he has played at the time of this recording. I know it didn't exactly go as well as people were hoping. Only has picked up the one hit so far, a bunch of strikeouts. I guess if I was concerned about one thing here, it's that a bunch of these strikeouts have been looking. So that kind of makes me wonder if he's completely picking up the baseball as well as he you would like to see anyway. But a lot of players struggled this weekend. It's just going to happen. We had such a short spring training, and as good as Julio Rodriguez is, this is a 21-year-old. There are going to be ups and there are going to be downs. This is why I've suggested all along that you want Julio Rodriguez on your fantasy roster but you kind of want him to be your third or fourth outfielder. You know, if you're relying on him to be that first or second outfielder, you're going to have a bad time because there are going to be ups and downs. I've said it numerous times and I'll say it again. Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna and players like that ruined it for everybody because we just assume young players are going to be super good when they come up. And that's just not the case there. Baseball is a really hard game. 
pitchers are better than they've ever been. They're locating the baseball. They're going to have to deal with shifts that they've never seen and secondary stuff that is being located better than they've ever seen. So, no, I'm not concerned about Julio Rodriguez. I'm also not concerned about Jared Kelnick, who has also gotten off to a very poor start in, again, 154th of the season. There's just no reason to panic about these type of players. You're going to have to deal with – Colin always makes fun of how much I say this phrase – bitter with the better. You're just going to have to deal with that. And at the end of the day, I think Julio Rodriguez is going to be a very strong, maybe even a top 100 player by the end of the year. I believe in his talent that much. But it's going to be – it's not going to be consistent top 100 production. It's going to be year, times where you see a bunch of good and a bunch of not so good. Second question here, could Nick Prado be an early call-up and fantasy helper? So I'm not sure about the first one because it's just kind of tough to say. Do I think Nick Prado could be a fantasy helper when he does get the call-up, though? I apologize that I always seem to ask myself these questions. It's one of those things you have to do with the solo shows. Yeah, I do. I do think Nick Prado could be a fantasy helper. Got off to a real nice start in AAA. Uh, had a two-homer game either Friday or Saturday. It's kind of hard to keep track of the days now. But Nick Prado is one of the most improved fantasy prospects I've seen. Now, this was a first-round pick. It's kind of a weird situation because when he was drafted, and this was a guy that I got a chance to see at the Area Code Games in California, and I love the swing. But it was like, okay, this is a really nice swing. And he's probably limited to first base. But is he going to be able to hit for power? That was my question mark. Was was he going to be able to? Because at first base, it's nice to have that ability to maybe hit 310. You know, he had that good of a hit tool. We're talking about a plus-plus hit tool. But we were also talking about a guy who was going to tap out at about 15 to 20 homers. You know, and, and that can work. But in today's day and age, he kind of wants the power thing. So here's what happened with Nick Prado. In 2019, he hit 191, and they basically said, we need to do a swing change with this dude, and boy, has it ever paid off. The guy hit 36 homers last year uh, while reaching AAA. A borderline plus-plus power now, already has three homers on the season, slugging 542. Still has a decent hit tool, but it's going to come with a lot of strikeouts. So when Nick Prado does get that call-up, you are going to have to be prepared to take some contact issues and maybe a hit in the average. Very patient hitter, drew 83 walks last year. What's interesting about Nick Prado is he stole 12 bases last year, and he's stolen a bunch of bases in his minor league career. Uh, Hasn't run yet this year, but he's stolen 61 bases in four-plus season. He is that rare first baseman who does have the athleticism to be a guy who could help you in the stolen base category. So that Kind of helps a little bit with the average, too. The question mark, of course, is how much is Kansas City going to let him run? It's kind of a question mark now with Bobby Wood Jr. a little bit. It would have been nice to see him run this weekend. Didn't get on base a whole heck of a lot, but I still think Bobby Wood's going to get plenty of stolen bases. Adalberto Mondesi has proven that the Kansas City Royals have guys that are able to run in this system. But yeah, I do like Prado. The fact that he's limited to first base limits his value a little bit. But I would say he's right along with Tristan Casas or Casas. We went over that last week in terms of quality first basemen that do have a chance to be fantasy contributors this year. As for when he's going to get called up, that's really hard to say. Kansas City has been a little more aggressive than some other teams lately, but there's just no guarantee. But I would guess he's up by June or so, and I would guess that he's a speculative ad for the bottom of your bench 
just to see if that power and maybe that speed plays off. A guy I got asked about a lot was Jeremy Pena. Meant to talk about him last week because a bunch of people asked me about him, but I got a really good question, I thought, from uh, from somebody who was interested in whether or not they should roster Jeremy Pena or Bryson Stott for the rest of the year. These are both interesting guys, both guys that are in my 100 prospects. I'm going with Pena for the rest of the year, and the reason I'm doing it is for a couple of reasons. One, I think Jeremy Pena isn't as good of a long-term prospect as Bryson Stott, but I think he's a better player right now. I also like that lineup that he's going to be playing in in Houston, especially if he's going to keep batting behind Kyle Tucker. I don't really get what Houston's doing with Kyle Tucker in the sixth spot. Who knows if he hit the sixth spot again on Sunday, but that's just a, a really weird situation to see some of the weaker players hitting above him, but he's comfortable in that spot, so be it. But I do like that landing spot for him. I think he might get a chance to run more. The thing with Bryson Stott is I, I really like the skill set here and one of the most improved fantasy prospects, not to toot my own horn, but I've been kind of in on this guy since he was drafted with a first round pick into UNLV. Yeah, Chris, way to go out on a limb on a first round pick. But I always thought he was underrated from a fantasy perspective because he can make hard contact all over the field, has really started tapping into his power. My question with Bryson Stott is going to be just how much playing time he gets because Alec Bohm is going to play. And I'm still a big believer in Alec Bohm's bat, so he should play. Now, if Bryson Stott becomes the starting shortstop, that's a little different thing. because, And then we'll have to have another conversation. But for right now, I think Peña's going to run more as well. I think that they're similar in terms of what you can expect in terms of rates. I I get people who would be rostering Stott, but the, the problem is, is I think you're talking about a platoon player, whereas Jeremy Peña has a locked-in everyday spot. Um, so if I have to go with one for the rest of the year, give me Jeremy Pena. And I guess he kind of do. With the A's trading for Langoliers, that's Shea Langoliers, I thought they would move Soderstrom to third base. However, Zach Geloff is going off in double A. How do you see this situation playing out? This was an excellent question because it's a really interesting situation. And it's one if you're playing in a dynasty league that you have to pay pretty close attention to because... The top two prospects for the Oakland Athletics right now are catchers in Shea Langoliers and Tyler Soderstrom. From a fantasy perspective, I have Soderstrom over Langoliers. From a real-life perspective, it's a little bit different. It's it's pretty close to me, but a lot of people have Langoliers as a real-life top 50 prospect because his defense is so good, and I can't deny that. Like This is a very, very good defensive player he's not bereft of offensive ability like he can make hard contact he there is power in his right-handed bat I have some real question marks about hitting for average whereas Tyler Soderstrom is a much better fantasy prospect to me one of them is in my top 50 and right now Langoliers isn't in my top 100 with all of the calls I think he probably will be in my next update by the way I update my prospect rankings every Monday and I do it real time so it's not as it's basically every Monday. What I do is I take all of the prospects who are on that top 100 list. And if they're on a major league roster, I remove them and I put in the new top 100 guys, which is something a lot of people don't do, but I think it's kind of separates us. And it's really nice to get a more wide variety of prospects in. And it's more telling for like dynasty rankings. Whereas, you know, technically a guy like even like a guy like Joe Adele is technically to me still kind of a prospect because of his age and learning path. 
But for fantasy purposes, the minor league players, you want to have as many of those guys focused as possible because I know many of you play in deep dynasty leagues. So, yeah, just check that out in our season of tools. I think it's a really cool feature. Uh, I also do my prospect positional every week, but that's enough uh, promoting that stuff. But anyway, I think Titer Soderstrom is the better fantasy prospect by a considerable margin. But there's some real question marks about whether or not he's going to be able to stick behind the plate. I don't think Soderstrom is athletic enough for third base. So what I think is going to happen here is that Langoliers is going to be the everyday backstop someday. Sean Murphy, who I still think is a very good player, is probably getting traded somewhere. And I think his fantasy stock will go up when that happens. But I think Soderstrom probably ends up moving to first base in this situation, which is a bummer because the fantasy value, we just talked about how we like Nick Prado at first base, but there is just not as much fantasy value for a first baseman as there is a catcher. That's just the nature of the situation. You can find lots of bats that are interesting at first base, much less interesting or much harder to do so, I guess, at the catcher position. So there's a chance that he's the catcher. There's a chance that one of them gets moved. Oakland is always going to make a ton of trades just because they you can't see me holding up quotation marks have to um, because of their financial limitations, which they actually just set against themselves. Don't believe it for a word, but don't believe it for a minute. But it's it's going to be an interesting situation. I'm glad you brought up Zach Geloff because that's a guy who for sure will be in my top 100 uh, a guy that was like in my just missed of the just, just missed, which, you know, is kind of like a nonsense term, but a bat out of the University of Virginia that has really improved. He's definitely a guy that I'm interested in. A chance to hit for power, a chance to hit for a decent average, a solid glove at third base. Wouldn't shock me if he made his debut this year. Already 22, so we're not talking about massive upside, but we're not talking about somebody who's super old for the level. But if you were asking me where those players were going to land, I would guess that Soderstrom is the first baseman, Langoliers is the catcher, and Galoff ends up at third base. ETA for those guys all is probably 2023, except for Soderstrom, excuse me, except for Langoliers, which I believe he will make his major league debut this year. It's not the greatest situation, to be honest. And I would prefer one of those guys or maybe two of those guys change organizations. Except for the fact that I'm just not really high on Legoliers from a fantasy perspective anyway. He definitely is that type of guy to me who is more of a quality real-life prospect than one that you want to see in your fantasy lineup every day. More of a catcher, too. But certainly interesting and somebody to keep an eye on. But, yeah, this is going to be a situation if you play in a dynasty league that you're going to have to monitor. Because Soderstrom has a chance to be like a catcher one and one of the best catchers in baseball. It's such a loaded position right now, but Soderstrom's offensive ability is really special. Thoughts on Hunter Green's debut. So I just got done watching this and I was impressed. So he ended up with five innings. He gave up three runs, struck out seven. I believe he walked two or three. Command wasn't great and did give up two homers. But I think the overall takeaway here is really impressive. Let's keep in mind this was his major league debut. And it was coming against a, the defending world champion and a good defending world champion. This was not a, with all due respect to the Marlins in 1998 or 2004, this was not a team that completely rebuilt after they won their championship. It's a solid lineup. And at times he looked dominant. You know, his fastball, it's not, it doesn't have the crazy movement of some other dudes, 
but it's certainly good enough. And it's an 80 grade pitch just because of the fact that it, it just needs a tick of movement for it to get there because of the fact that it can get to 101, 102, sometimes even a little bit higher than that. But you're mostly counting on 100 to 102 with him. Uh, the secondary stuff still needs work. And I thought there were flashes of good stuff here, but he was mostly relying on that fastball. Fastball command is going to have to be really, really good. And I don't love that park. It's not, of course, he wasn't playing at home. It's weird seeing Cincinnati not playing at home. I saw a weird stat. Sorry for this off-the-cuff remark. But Cincinnati wasn't opening at home for like the first time since 1990. And the last time they did that, they won the World Series. I am not predicting them to win the World Series this time around. But back to back to my point. Hunter Green, I thought, was very solid. And it gives me hope going forward. Because if you can handle a Braves lineup that is pretty darn good and pretty darn complete as well as he did, you know, you're going to look at the 5.40 ERA and be like, eh, it's not so great. But that really doesn't tell the story here. It was two home runs, basically, that ruined the start. And he, again, I do think that there are going to be some Hober problems for Hunter Green going forward. But I think you're going to get enough quality everywhere else that he's going to be fantasy relevant. You're going to want to keep an eye on who he's facing, but definitely encouraged by his chance of fantasy success. And speaking of fantasy success, the 2022 MLB season is underway, and NBC Sports Edge is giving our listeners a very special offer. Get 22% off an annual Edge Plus subscription when you use promo code BASES22. That's BASES22. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You get expert insight and access to tools that will give you an edge against your competition at one low price. So all you have to do is go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus. You use that promo code BASIS22 and you can go to check out and save big on the season. So again, thanks everybody for the questions and we'll do what we did last week. We'll go into our top 10 prospects for the 2022 season. A reminder, this is not the best 10 prospects overall. This is also not including anybody who's on a major league roster right now. So even though Bobby Witt Jr. technically has prospect eligibility because he's on the major league roster, he doesn't count. Same for Julio Rodriguez, same for Spencer Torkelson. So last week's list, we saw seven graduates, which has got to be a record for me. Even knowing that I put some added emphasis on who was making opening day rosters, 
70% turnover on this list is something that I just don't see very often. But so we do have three carryovers. Might be surprised to see who's at number one, because I will say I did change the order just a little bit from last week. It's more based on a gut feel than anything, but I think that you won't be too surprised who this number one name is, but it's not necessarily just a complete mashover from the previous week. Number 10 is Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman is, I think, one of the best infield prospects in baseball. Obviously, that's true. If you, Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. Really believe in the power. The hit tool has made, improved so much since he was at high school in Las Vegas. It's certainly not going to be plus ever, but I think he's going to hit for enough average for that power to play. Has really taken to second base pretty well. It's the question mark here, and the only reason he ranks at number 10 is when is he going to get that chance? It should be fairly soon. It should be fairly soon from both a it makes sense for him to come up and also from the fact that, you know, I just think he's ready to play. But there's no guarantees here, which is one of the reasons why he ranks a little lower on this list. But Nolan Gorman is someone I am definitely considering stashing right now, especially if you need somebody who needs that. I believe he has eligibility at second base and third base. Doesn't hurt to have that positional flexibility at the bottom of your lineup. Number nine, we have Brennan Davis of the Chicago Cubs. And by the way, Cubs were really impressive last week. And a lot of you asked me about Seiya Suzuki real quick and were concerned about the power. (laughs) If you watch Seiya Suzuki play this weekend, you no longer have concerns about the power is my guess because there's plenty. And I think he's going to be super fantasy relevant Absolutely think he's the the overwhelming favorite to win National League Rookie of the Year. And he should be joined in the outfield by Brennan J- Davis at some point this year. Not the best start. It's only six games, but 125, 333, 313 over 16 at-bats. One of the most athletic outfield prospects in baseball. There's four-plus tools here in his power, his speed, his arm, and his glove. Still a young player here. He's only 22, won't turn 23 until November. I still have some doubts about whether or not the Cubs are a legit contender. You know, they didn't make the moves necessary other than signing Suzuki, which was a great long-term move, but not really something that's going to make them, all due respect to him, very good player, but not going to make them a contender, I think, in the NL Central. So I think it's a team that can kind of take their lumps. I would expect, just like we kind of talked about with Julio Rodriguez, some ups and downs with Brennan Davis, but I think the overall experience is going to be a positive one. I would guess he's up sometime around June, assuming he starts hitting AAA pitching, and there's no reason to think that he won't. Uh, number eight, uh, kind of a return, a guy who's been in my list a lot of times for a player who's still pretty darn young. It's Mackenzie Gore. Now, Mackenzie Gore, for those of you who aren't familiar, a couple of years ago, this was the best pitching prospect in baseball, and it wasn't particularly close. Like, absolutely dominant numbers, and look the part while doing it. Finished with a 1.69 ERA in the 2019 season. That was over 101 innings. So it's not like this was some small sample size thing. But then 2020, I don't want to say the word yips because that has different connotations. But he did really struggle to throw strikes in 2021. He was struggling to command his stuff so much that they actually took him off the AAA roster and sent him down to the lower levels as basically a brand new delivery And it looked like a really good delivery in his first start of the year for AAA El Paso. Five innings of shutout baseball where he allowed just two hits. Struck out seven. 
96 to 98 with his fastball, which is actually a tick higher than he was a couple of years ago. So the, the compact delivery change has clearly made a big improvement here. When he's at his best, there are three pitches here that can miss bats, sometimes four, kind of depends on the curveball slider running into each other. The key with him is can he get ahead in counts? And it's weird to say for a guy who looked like he was going to have maybe plus plus command, but he's really struggled to get ahead with his fastball. He's going to have to do that at the highest level. It sounds like an obvious point, but it's really important for a pitcher like this to be able to get to those secondary pitches. I think that there is a, while San Diego's rotation is good, I do think that the fact that it was maybe easier to move a guy like Chris Paddock because they were impressed with him would not be shocked if Mackenzie Gore was making starts soon. And he would be a guy that I would absolutely jump at and spending some fab to go get when that does occur. Number seven is Grayson Rodriguez. Now, Grayson Rodriguez, to me, is the best pitching prospect in baseball. A guy who, to be completely honest with you, I think is kind of getting his service time manipulated a little bit. Now, the the there's a case to be made for keeping him down in the minors right now. I believe he was making his first starts in AAA to begin the year. And a lot of teams do like to go that have some time in each level. And, and I can understand that to a point. And I'm emphasizing to a point here because Grayson Rodriguez is really good and is that best pitching prospect in baseball for a reason. Really strong in his first AAA start, like we were talking about. Four innings, one hit, no earned runs, one base on ball, seven strikeouts. I mean, the stuff here is filthy. Two plus-plus pitches in his fastball and change. Another out pitch in his slider. Can mix in a curve here as well. Plus command. Repeats his delivery well. Everything is here for him to be successful. The only reason I have him this low is Baltimore is really bad, and they're not going to give him a ton of win chances this year. By the way, I'm sorry for uh, not being nice to Baltimore, but you have – a wonderful farm system, and if these guys all work out, it's going to be great, and hopefully they start spending some money here. But no one can deny that this is a really bad Major League Baseball team right now. So not a lot of win chances, and also the fact that we don't know what he's going to get his chance to pitch at the highest level. Also wouldn't be shocked if his innings were monitored a little bit. Has never thrown more than 103 in a season. So those are the negatives, but there are a lot of positives for Grayson Rodriguez. As well. Uh, number six, Jaron Duran. So, for those of you who wondered why Jaron Duran not only didn't make the Boston roster, now I can't, I'm not 100% sure that this isn't why he made it. In fact, I would guess based on timing, it has nothing to do with it. But just started getting into the lineup recently, uh, dealt with a positive COVID test, which got released uh, recently, has had no trouble in his eight at bats so far, three hits, hit his first homer, stole a base. I know a lot of people are going to look at Jared Duran and look at those numbers that he put up last year and kind of poo-poo him. 215, 241, 336, and 107 at-bats for Boston last year. I'm a big believer in this batch. I really think this is a guy who can help in a few different categories. Need to see him start taking more pitches, and it's encouraging to see that he walked twice in his first two games. That is definitely a positive thing because this is a player – whose approach has kind of gone downhill since he got drafted out of Long Beach State. Now, everything else has gone up except for the approach, which is good, but you do have to be a little more patient at the plate. Looking here, uh, he walked four times in 107, or excuse me, in 33 games last year against 40 strikeouts. That's just not going to get it done, and he's not going to hit at the top of the lineup. But with his speed, 
with his power and the ability to make hard contact, I think he can be an absolute fantasy star someday. Not counting on it in 2022, which is why I have him at six instead of like number one or number two. I also have some question marks about whether or not there is playing time to be found in that outfield right now. But there is an awful lot to like about Jaron Duran when he gets that chance. And if he was to change organizations, oh my goodness gracious, is he a guy that I'd be looking to pick up. Number five, another outfielder, Alec Thomas uh, of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now there's plenty of room for Alec Thomas. There is all due respect to that outfield. When Arizona feels ready to call up Alec Thomas, there's nobody who is like, boy, we really can't play Alec Thomas over anybody on this roster. That's just not the case. Now, not a great start this year. Uh, 565 OPS in five games. Again, sorry for sounding like a broken record, but the sample size is way too small to give a hoot about any of that. Um, This was a guy who posted a 953 OPS in AA and AAA last year with 18 homers, 13 stolen bases. So this isn't a guy who has a standout plus-plus tool, but there's a bunch of 60s on the 2080 scale here. I think the hit is right around 60, the power, the speed is right around there, and the fielding as well. Only real weakness in his game is honestly his arm, but we don't really care about that in fantasy baseball unless you're playing in one of those silly leagues where it matters whether or not he's a center fielder or left fielder. That's more a score sheet thing than it is a a Yahoo or anywhere else who you're playing fantasy baseball. But a lot to like here. My, I guess if there was one concern, and I'm offering one concern, I guess, with all of these guys, hasn't been super great on the bases. Like the, the stolen base percentage isn't exactly where you would want it, but he has the speed to do it. And I think the average and power are going to be enough that even if he doesn't like set the world on fire in that other category, it's kind of like icing on the cake. I really like Alec Thomas. I would imagine he's playing every day for the Diamondbacks before the start of June as well. Pretty good chance that he might be a May call-up. Number four, Riley Green. So once again, Riley Green was a guy that looked like he was going to make the Major League roster. Going to be out for a couple of months while he's dealing with his foot fracture. The good news here is no surgery. Um, Once again, the Tigers apparently were going to have him be their everyday center fielder. So it's just a matter of the waiting game. It would be nice, and again... It's a weird thing to say because, you know, you don't want to you, you hope the night. The best thing would have been just not Riley Green being hurt, but it would have been nice if you could put him like on your injured list. But because he's didn't have to be placed on any type of that, you can't stash him on your IL until he gets ready. But a guy that in deeper leagues, I would be rostering now, but I totally understand if you. Don't quite have the room for that type of guy just yet, but you got to be ready because when he gets that chance, when he starts playing in AAA games, which, you know, sounds like it's going to be right around the middle of June, he's a must add because he is one of the few fantasy prospects who has a chance to contribute in every eligible category. Number three, and this is the big jumper here, and it's cheating a little bit just because it looks like we know what's going to happen with him. It's Nick Lodolo. So, The Reds have not announced a a starter for their Wednesday game. They have Nick Lodolo on their taxi squad. I respect your intelligence enough to know what is probably going to happen here. Not a lot. We've seen weirder things happen, but almost assuredly Lodolo is going to make his major league debut, just like Hunter Green did. And there's a lot to like. A lot of scouts that I've talked to actually believe that Lodolo 
is the better pitching prospect. I'm not one of those persons from a real-life standpoint at a fantasy standpoint, but that's no insult to Lodolo. I'm just a huge fan of Hunter Green. This was a kid who was actually drafted by the Pirates who weren't able to sign him, and then he went to college, was very good at TCU, drafted with the seventh overall pick. You know, this is kind of the best version of that lefty advanced pitcher that you hear about every year. There's no elite pitch here, but everything is solid, and he throws it all for strikes. So you're talking about a 60 fastball, a 60 slider, a 60 changeup. Change might be a little ahead of the slider, as it often is for left-handers, but all three of those pitches can give hitters trouble, and he commands all of them. And he's not like a soft-tossing guy either. Like, there's plenty of velocity. He's touched 97 with his fastball. Um, There's some sink on the pitch as well. I think he can miss some bats. It's kind of similar to the Reed Detmer situation a little bit to me, though, where I do think he is a slightly better real-life prospect than a fantasy one. And with Detmers, it's actually, I think he's a much better real-life prospect than a fantasy one. But I like Lodolo a little bit more. You know, you take a risk for this. You're, you may only see him up for one start. That, that's a little bit of a risky thing, but I would definitely be willing to take a look at it. You know, this is a legitimate top 40 prospect, probably a little lower than that in fantasy, but in real life, you're talking a legit 40 prospect. I do think Lodolo is worth the risk for the stream, but don't yell at me if things don't go well because every young starting pitcher is a risk. And I apologize to everybody for <laughs> for suggesting Daniel Lynch last year when he was so terrible in those first starts. Still a big believer in Daniel Lynch, by the way. Okay, at number two. So this is where things changed up a little bit. So you might have thought Adley Rutschman was going to be my number one, and I wouldn't have blamed you for it. But I'm putting him at number two here, and it's a compliment to the guy on top more than an insult to Rutschman. It's also the fact that he is dealing with that triceps injury, and we just don't really have a secure enough timetable right now to really say for sure what's going to go on with him. At least the last time I checked um, when he's healthy, he is the best catching prospect in baseball by a wide, wide margin. And that is really saying something because the catching position, it's honestly as, as good as I've ever seen it. Like there are so many quality catching prospects. Francisco Alvarez at some point is probably going to make this list, especially if he keeps just tearing the, cover off the baseball right now but or excuse me Rutschman is a uh, candidate to contribute in a bunch of categories posted an 899 OPS last year can hit the ball into the gaps can hit the ball over the fence excellent approach at the plate again there is some risk with young catchers getting off to slow starts to begin their career because it's such a demanding position but I do believe Adley Rutschman at the end of the day is going to offer fantasy relevance and a person that I would consider rostering now, especially if you're playing in a two catcher league, because I'd rather have him now and, you know, waste that roster spot over the fact that I can't have him on my roster. As I wrote about in my daily dose, talking about Stephen Kwan, who was really impressive. A bunch of you asked about him. Um, I'll have some, some more stuff about Stephen Kwan coming up, but really impressed me over the weekend and got some really good reports over spring training as well. But, you know, as I said with that, it's better to be too early than it is to be too late. I would much rather, dang it, I added this guy too early. Shoot. The alternative to that is I never get the chance to have this guy on my roster. So I, I am a firm believer in being too early over too late. 
prefer to be neither and be right on time, but you're usually going to be one or the other and too early is the better. And number one, uh, the guy who is definitely, definitely, definitely getting his service time suppressed right now, our good friend, even though he doesn't know us, O'Neill Cruz. Now, O'Neill Cruz is not off to, like many minor league players, the hottest of starts. He has a 381 on base percentage, but he does have a 235 average, which isn't great. He's only slugging 294. Hasn't hit that first home run in AAA just yet. But come on. Anybody who watched this guy play at the end of last year and anybody who has seen him play in the minor leagues over the last couple of seasons know what this guy is capable of. He can hit for average. He can hit for power. Boy, oh boy, can he hit for power. He's underrated in his ability to steal. He's already stolen two bases in his five games, which we love to see. Um, four walks, so he's showing a quality approach to the plate. Struck out six times, which is kind of un, un- O'Neill Cruz-esque because he only struck out 69 times in 68 games last year. He's really does a nice job of recognizing pitches and putting the bat to the barrel, even with those small forward limbs that I love to talk about. There is just so much talent in O'Neill Cruz that I have to rank him as the top fantasy prospect. I would imagine that he's up as soon as Super 2 is no longer a concern. They can say whatever they want about development. They can say whatever they want about working on defense. They can say whatever they want about the quality food in Indianapolis over Pittsburgh. Never been to either city for that long, so I can't tell you which uh, place has better food, although I've heard a lot about St. Elmo's Steakhouse. Um, And Pittsburgh has some good stuff. Pittsburgh, by the way, also has the best ballpark in baseball, which is why one of the reasons why it is so frustrating to watch what is going on here because those fans deserve so much better to get to go to that beautiful ballpark and watch such a bad baseball team and one that's going to be bad, I think, for a little while longer. A good farm system. But yeah, long story short, O'Neill Cruz is my top fantasy prospect, and he's somebody that I am willing to roster right now again. And I've said again a lot today, too. It's just not worth the risk of having him not be a part of your team. Go get O'Neill Cruz now if he's still available. So that's going to do it for us. Thank you, everybody, so much for those who joined us. Obviously, you joined us if you're listening to this. Uh, Stay tuned tomorrow. Uh, You're going to get the power rankings from Drew and Janice. Very curious to see if they overreact to anything. I will be sure to call them out if they do. Follow me on Twitter to see if I do, at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. If you liked what you heard, please rate the show five stars and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Again, daily shows. Can't say that about a lot of baseball podcasts. Can't say that about very many prospects, period. So until next time, have a great start to your week, and we will see you next time. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.